0: then what do, I, what do I bring this morning? And I was emailing um, Ollie Ryder on Facebook, who's the, the new minister down at St. Matthias. And he said at the end of his email, he just said to me, keep the main thing, the main thing. Throw away line. Didn't, I don't think he meant anything profound by it, but it's something that he said before. And as soon as he said that, I was thinking, I was agonizing, what is the message that I should bring this morning? And I've had a message that I've preached before on keeping the main thing, the main thing. And as soon as he said that, It prompted me to go straight to this text. I can't think of a better message to bring you this morning than from Philippians 3, verse 4 to 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, that picture will become clear in a moment. I'm not really egotistical. and just wanted a picture of myself on the screen as you read the Bible, just in case you were wondering. And if you're new here, um, in the Bibles in front of you, on page 1181 in your pew Bibles, it's where, no, 80, 1180. And we're reading from verse, chapter 3 of Philippians, from verse 4b to 11. So if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, and it is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in this death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. If there were ever a text that required boom as a conclusion to it, that is one of them. I want to tell you a story at the start of this message. Let me make sense of that picture behind me. In my second year of university, um, for some unknown reason, we felt prompted to to cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats. I can't remember the exact distance. It's a long way. All I remember, how many? Wow, that sounds even more brilliant. Thank you. That's amazing. So, that's wow, I'm impressed. That's what we did. So, over 17 days, we we cycled this grueling trek um, through all kinds of different weather conditions, and the various roads, as you know, in England are never particularly smooth. Uh, Many potholes, many punches, many huge hills, particularly coming into the north of England and Scotland. And as I found out, Plymouth seems to have hills absolutely everywhere. It was grueling for 17 days of cycling, but we were doing it to raise money for students that couldn't afford. Their tuition fees. The reason I say this is around that same time I was really wrestling with my faith. I think I've told you this before. The second year of um, theological college, their aim is to tear apart everything you once knew about God, and then they say they aim to rebuild it in the third year. I'm not always sure that actually happens, but they definitely tear it apart in the second year. That's that's for sure. So I was wondering where I stood with God. I was wondering where I stood with Jesus. Was He really real? Did he really do the things he said? I mean, how do we know this isn't just a made-up document? Uh, The Gospels, that is. And as I was wrestling with this stuff, I remember it had been bothering me so much. It was bringing me angst. I, I I, I felt everything I once knew was suddenly crumbling beneath me. But more important than that, I felt that someone I loved so much was being torn away from me. And I say the story about the the, the cycling because there was one day on that cycle, towards the end of it, where we've been cycling for hours and hours and hours, and you have a lot of time to think, a lot of time just to process and go over things. And I've been wrestling the whole time with what I was going to do. Was I going to quit my degree? Was I going to not go to ministry anymore? How was I going to have that conversation with my parents? All these things were going through my mind. And then I remember as I was cycling, for some reason, I just started to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I honestly can't remember the reason. All I can remember is that I am glad I had sunglasses on, a helmet, and I was a certain distance away from my friends, because one, the singing was awful, but two, they didn't have to see me break down on my bike as I was cycling forward. I was so moved. I was so moved because there was something about the words of that song that brought it back to the heart of faith. I had somehow forgotten the most simple, most basic part of what I believed, the bit I was trying to tear apart and ruin that night, we, um, we came into Scotland and went to Edinburgh. And my aunt is, it was heads of a kind of counselling unit at, at what was called Morningside Baptist Church, which is now called, called Central. And we'd been given lots of different houses to go and sleep at, but before that, we went to the main church hall just to have a time of worship, to have some food, to catch up. I remember I was sitting there in this conversation with my aunt, and this was just after that experience that I'd had on the bike. I was already quite tender, and, and we were chatting away. I was catching up, finding out how she was doing. And in the background... Literally, quite quietly, there was a song by Jesus Culture, and as soon as I heard the name Jesus, it took everything in me to not break down in front of my aunt. I remember for the following week, every single time I heard that name, it tore something in me. I was so moved just by the name Jesus, nothing else, just by his very name. What were the words that I sung when I was cycling, when I surveyed the wondrous cross? On which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. When I survey the wondrous cross, I want to ask you a question this morning. Is Jesus the main thing in your life? Beyond all else we could desire, beyond all boasts, beyond all things we could want, is Jesus the main thing in your life? So I want us to look a little bit at this text in Philippians chapter 3. I want us to explore what Paul was trying to say to these people in Philippi. And I love this letter because really there's one verse which stands out to me, actually less than that, there's one word that stands out to me in in, in chapter three, verse um, I read seven to eight. It says this: Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. Now I say this, and I say I love this passage because that word rubbish. Um, For those that don't know, the Bible, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. I'm aware many of you may be familiar with that, but if you're not, that was the original language. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And that word rubbish in the original Greek is a a word called skubala. That doesn't really mean anything to anyone. We just like saying it at the front because it makes us look like we've done some reading previously. But the word word rubbish is, is a really poor translation of this because what Paul is trying to say here is far stronger. In fact when we were doing Greek lessons we were encouraged to come to Greek lessons at university because they said we'll show you where Paul uses words that are close to swear words that was how they wanted to draw in university students because it is a strong word I can't emphasize that more we've put rubbish because we're nice and polite and we don't want to offend but really what he's saying is something more around the lines of worthless scraps of garbage detestable animal excrement and if you're in that kind of region you think I think you know where I'm going He was using a strong word to convey the message. He wanted to say that in comparison to everything else you could possibly imagine, what is it? What is it all in comparison to Jesus? It's worthless, it's detestable, it is rubbish. Or in the message translation, I love the message translation. Sometimes Eugene Peterson just gets it right. He puts this, compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, it's dog dung. I think that's brilliant. I think that just sums it up perfectly, because actually, in comparison to everything else, nothing has even a glimmer in comparison to Jesus. Amen? Is Jesus the main thing in your life? So the message this morning, if, if you forget everything else, is very simple. Keep the main thing the main thing. As Ollie said in that message to me, keep the main thing, the main thing. I'm not the originator of that line. I wish I was. There's a guy called Stephen Covey who's a a leadership uh, guru. He he used that line once. And there's a guy called T.D. Jakes who's an American Pentecostal preacher in a passionate sermon told everyone to keep the main thing, the main thing. I tell you, that man speaks and you vibrate with the depth of his voice. Keep the main thing, the main thing. So throughout this whole letter that Paul's writing to the, to the, to the Christians in Philippi, he's, he's asking this question constantly in the back of my mind. What will give me confidence before God? If I come before the very throne of God, if I'm in the presence of God, what will give me confidence before him? I know I'm sinful. I know he's all holy. I don't deserve to be before him. What will give me confidence? Maybe, maybe it's his human achievement. I mean, Paul's the bee's knees, Right? In, 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 in humanly terms, Paul's accomplished everything. He's like the great archbishop. He's got power. He's got authority. He's got a reputation. And he lists his CV in this text um, in verses four. Again, it's four B. I know that's a weird way of putting it, but it's the second part of verse four. It says, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as, f- as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, he has it all. He was born in a great family, not only a great family, but a pure fam- a pure nationalistic family. He was born a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had great position, He was a Pharisee, this this, um, strict sect of Judaism. He he was a man with great reputation and great power, knowing for persecuting the Christians originally before he became one himself. He had it all going for him. In regards to human achievement, he could have laid it before God and said, you want reasons to why we can talk, mate? Here it is. Look at all the things I've done. I haven't even got enough fingers to tell you how awesome I am. And yet he realised When he comes before God, none of that will give him confidence. When he stands face to face before God, none of that will give him any um, place or position in regards to God. The only thing is Jesus. Is Jesus the main thing in your life? Keep the main thing, the main thing. But then, what about human effort? Because maybe Paul could have somehow earned his way. I know you know where I'm going, but just play along as if you don't. Surely Paul could have somehow earned his way, right? I mean, surely he could have done something to earn God's love in that place where he's face to face with him, somehow earned confidence before God. In verse um, 9, it says, I read the end of 8, actually, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but the one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. What is righteousness? It's a fancy way of saying being made right with God. What is Paul saying? Well, in regards to the law, as we read earlier, he's blameless. He's got it all right. So surely that makes him right before God. Surely if he's he's obeyed all the rules, he's obeyed all the Jewish laws, he's got loads of reason to be confident. He's made right. He's earned his righteousness. And yet on that road, when Jesus met him face to face, he's come to realize how futile all of that is. Because actually, the only thing that will give many confidence when he stands before God is Jesus, is faith in Jesus. Is Jesus the main thing in your life? Keep the main thing, the main thing. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and if you're honest, looking at your life, there's other things that take priority over Jesus. Maybe the axis of the things that you do, the axis of your life is your career. Maybe it's even a career you've had. You place so much security in everything you once had, the position you had, the reputation, the way people looked at you. Maybe it's a hobby, a particular skill you have, something you do well, and everyone will regard you as doing good in that. And if you're honest, you put more time in investing in that than sometimes your relationship will go. I'm not trying to make people feel guilty here this morning. Just don't, please don't hear that. That's not the aim of this message. But it's to simply get us to think, Surely, in comparison to Jesus, nothing else is worth anything. So is he the axis as to which everything revolves, or are there other things that we're somehow placing in that central position? Maybe this morning you come here, and dare I say you try to earn your way to, to Jesus' affections in different ways. Maybe it's through your quiet time and your devotion. If every single morning and every single evening you spend time with him for a certain amount of time, then surely he's going to love you. Surely if you were face-to-face with God, that would be worth something. That would make it. That would cut the mold. Or maybe it's a set of beliefs, core doctrines that you hold. That if as long as you believe this, this, and this, and you're absolutely fine because it's all about belief, right? Or maybe it's a particular membership of a church or a denomination that you're fond of. Maybe these things are central to your faith. And somehow, actually, Jesus really, I mean, he's important. But as long as you have these things in line, everything else makes sense. Is Jesus the main thing in your life? Is he the main thing? Keep the main thing the main thing. I want to finish with a quote. It's not a long message. It's pretty short and, and to the point. But I want to finish with a quote from a, a woman that I, I've talked about before. On, on the weekend I came here for the um, Preacher of You weekend, that gruelling time where everyone smiled, but yeah, that was that, I'll tell you what, that was a tough weekend. But that, that Preacher of You weekend, um, as I was coming here, I got a phone call when I got here from a friend of mine saying, a woman called Bev had died and that I would be doing the funeral when I got back. Now, I love Bev, and I'm sure I've told you her story before. She was a wonderful bubbly, Liverpudlian. She used to come in the wheelchair a massive, I'd never known someone that could beam so much joy in one smile. and And Bev was that kind of salt-of-the-earth liver party. I'm not going to do her accent. I've offended far too many people trying. But but she used to just bring you joy just being in your in your very presence. And Bever got a, a brain tumour, and it was a terminal brain tumour. And she hadn't, before she had a kind of, um, was brought up, had a Catholic upbringing, her faith was very legalistic. It was very just believe in God, and that's okay to a certain extent. There wasn't that sense of a relationship. But over time, she discovered this relationship with Jesus. And she used to just bubble with this joy of God and the words that I will always remember for. you know when someone's life means something and you remember them just for one sentence, one sentence which defines everything that she stood for in those last moments where the brain tumour was winning I know I have my tumour but I've never felt so well now I've got Jesus I know I have my tumour but I've never felt so well now I've got Jesus is Jesus the main thing in your life? Keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's pray. Father, I sometimes think of when we preach, we're preaching to ourselves so much. God, may we as a church never, ever lose sight of the centrality of your son. In our personal walks with you, may Jesus always be the center of everything we do. As a church, in the decisions we make, may Jesus be the center. May we keep... Him the main thing. And may we fall so deeply, madly in love with him. More each day. Help us not to become complacent or to forget the simplicity of our faith, the simplicity of a relationship with Jesus. When all the other things crowd in us, when we're so tempted to, do other, to put other things first, to put human achievement or effort or somehow strive and earn your affection, God. May, may Jesus always remain the main thing in our lives individually and as a church, as your body, as a community here in Plymouth. And may we wait with joy and expectation for that day when he returns. In Jesus' name. Amen.